Hey, everybody, welcome into the Raw Knuckles podcast. We'd really appreciate it if you'd like, subscribe, and share with a friend. No surprise, uh, Chris has probably already been in a fight with someone and was all fired up, all fired up uh, behind the bench. He's standing up there, he's pointing at this other player, swearing, the F-bombs are flying all over the place. And, uh, and you know, he's just preparing for the next shift when he's going to fight the guy, practically. And, uh, and that was back in the days where the family sat behind the bench, but there was no glass. And so my great uncle, who's, uh, who was 92 at the time, I think, uh, he walked with a cane, and uh, he took his cane, and he poked Chris Nyland in the back <laughs> with his cane and said, you do not need to use that language on the ice, young man. And uh, When I stepped on the ice, I never backed down, and I never stayed down. And I was vicious, and I was malicious, and I don't care. <laughs> Welcome into the Raw Knuckles podcast. Awesome to have you. I'm glad you were able to take some time here for me, for us. Uh, I introduced you to Tim Stapleton, my partner here on the podcast. Timmy played in Jeff. Toronto, Winnipeg. Uh, he played some in the NHL. And he, he had the distinct pleasure of playing in Russia. Yeah, yeah, and the owners there, Jeff, they like if we were losing, they would be on the bench by the third period, like, oh, running yeah. the line. So I don't know if you ever thought about doing that, but well, if you want a little bit later, Chris and I can tell the, we'll tell the story about my uncle Hartley. Oh yeah, for sure, we'll get into that. All right, well, welcome in, and um, let's get going here. And I, you know, you talk about your um, Hartland and and the Molson family; uh, they've been associated certainly with this team for quite a while, but. Going back uh, to the beginning for you, growing up here in Montreal, uh, your dad owning the team, Eric, uh, who, by the way, was a wonderful owner, very generous and a, a good man to us when uh, we played here back in those years, when I played here. Um, and, and growing up, and I remember you coming in the room with your brothers, Andrew and Justin, and you come in after the games and stuff. What was that like for you growing up in such a, uh, you know, prestigious family in Westmount, uh, owning the team. What was that navig? What was it like for you navigating that your young life, those young years with you know certainly all the peers at school, stuff like that. What? How was that growing up? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I was uh, I was lucky, right? The uh, uh, I was the son of uh, son of the the, the owner. Um, and, uh, but you know, he, he, he taught me at a very early age, uh, to respect the space that the players have. Um, and, uh, he taught me all about how, um, how we operate as a family around the hockey team. And, um, it's always been, and, and, and you lived it and I, I'm still this way. I'm 52. I'm, I still behave this way with the players is, you know, that we're here, we're here to win hockey games and it's not my role to interfere with, uh, with, with what they want to do. So, um, as a kid, uh, you know, 13, 14 years old to be able to go to a practice and sit on the bench while you guys practice or to go uh, near the dressing room was, it was, we were very fortunate, but I was so shy at the time. And, and, uh, you know, I, 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 I did a lot of staring and not much talking. Um, and, uh, um, you know, 
to this day, it's still special walking into a dressing room with the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah, it is for sure. And Tim, this is funny. I remember Jeff used to come in the room after the game. Not every game, but some games they come in afterwards. And I remember one night specifically, I, I had had a fight. My hands were cut up. I was bleeding. And him and his brothers come in the room. And they were like standing there and just like staring at me like this guy is out of his mind. But and I, I think I think I don't remember. I think I gave you a stick uh, one night after a game. But um, anyway, your dad paid for it so you could have it. They still stare at you like that. <laughs> yeah. Back in those days, the sticks were 20 bucks. Though, yeah, right, Chris? it's crazy, right? Were you, were you dreaming of like owning the team back then at the young age? Or did you play? You, know, you want to yeah, I mean, I, I, at that age, I was sort of dreamed of being a professional hockey player myself, yeah. and uh, I admired these guys because they were so good. Um, and, uh, you know, 13, 14 years old, you realize you're not going to make it, and then you start to refocus. And, and I've always wanted to be a businessman. Um, and at the time, you know, my father was my father was the head of um, Molson Breweries, and Molson, the brewery, actually owned the team. Uh, and so every at Christmas time, uh, Chris would get a case of beer put in, in his trunk, uh, <laughs> um and in the parking lot yeah. um every christmas um so the brewery the brewery was really an integral part of it but yeah i mean my dream my dream was always to stay in hockey and and in um uh in uh when when the team was sold to george gillette uh i was i was about 30 years old i was i was too young to be able to do what i what i've done now um, but I sure wish I had tried back then too, because it was, it was hard for, it was hard for me to watch the brewery sell the team to uh, someone well, else. Well, let's talk about that again. It, you played hockey, you went to Babson, you went to St. Lawrence. Did you play at Babson? Was it? Were you the, no, I played at St. Lawrence. I was the, I was the eighth defenseman for, uh, for four straight years. Yeah. Well, yeah, I played <laughs> with you an old time game. You're a pretty good little player. So on defense, <laughs> right. You played D, uh, at least oh, you did in the, the, hockey for the homeless tournament but let's go back to that um when your dad sold the team what like what was the reason behind selling it Did, was it like listen i gotta pay more attention to the brewery and not you know, kind of get away from this hockey thing what what was that all about that sale at the time was it 2001 i believe yeah it was right around then and and the the real reason was uh we molson had become a a uh a company with with all kinds of different in all kinds of different industries and uh, my father and the board decided at that point that they were going to put all of their emphasis and all of their money in the beer business and so um, we sold off all kinds of assets and the Canadians was one of them um, and the only difference between the Canadians and, and all the other things that were sold to focus on on beer is that we kept the brewery kept 20 percent and so that was my that was my window to stay close and so I was on the board. I was the Molson chose me to be on the board of the Montreal Canadiens to represent those twenty percent. When Gillette owned so, the team, when Gillette Gillette owned eighty percent, and and Molson kept twenty, and so I was on the board, and so I got to know Gillette. I got to know Pierre Boivin, who was uh, the president at the time. And when George decided to put it up for sale, I I already had a little bit of uh, knowledge of what was going on, so it was it was helpful. Yeah. yeah. Um, no question. So um, the the team is sold, and then uh, back in '09, uh, the Molson family steps in and buys the team once again, and um, we're off and running. Now, when when you do that, and again, you, the team was sold for what two seventy two hundred seventy five million. Purchase it back for five hundred fifty million. Um, 
Mr. Gillette made a tidy little profit. Uh, and, and the Molson family is again in hockey. Now, when you look back, um, <laughs> your first day on the job, were you nervous? Were you, I mean, so much, the expectation in this city is, you know, as you know, about this team is huge. Like everybody expects Stanley Cups. They, they, how nervous were you when you, you first came into that role and owning the team again? Yeah, that, that was a, uh, it was a, a, a moment I'll never forget. So the, the first bid uh, went in on June 10th and, um, and we were, we were retained and so were a bunch of other ones. And the, the final decision on who won the bid was uh, was like 12 or 13 days later. So June 22nd or 23rd. And um, in in a split second, when uh, George Gillette called me to tell me that we're the next owners of the Montreal Canadiens, I went from being a pretty low profile v- vice president of marketing at Molson to the owner of the Montreal Canadiens. And so, I mean, it was a big, big change in my life. And was I scared? Definitely. Was I excited? Yes. Um, but it was, it was one of those, uh, I call it a holy shit moment. You know, what did I do here? Um, because all of a sudden everyone knows who you are and all of a sudden you have to start talking to the media, um, and, uh, communicate with uh, hockey players and all these things that I haven't, I, I hadn't done before, um, were, you know, imminent and, and, and I had to start right away. So this was a, a, a closed bid process because there was some heavy hitters in there, right? Kyle Pellando, uh, Serge and his group, Serge Savard, Joey Sabuto, Rennie Angeli, Stephen Bronfman. Uh, so was it just all bid and the Molson bid the most or was there a little politics involved? I think it was, I, you know what, I've, I've never, uh, it was all so confidential. Like I didn't know enough about other people's bids or I didn't know anything actually about other people's bids because we were held away from it. But I think it's a combination of having the right bid. I don't know if it was the highest or not, but the right bid and, and also the right partners. And I, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't do this uh, alone. I, I did it with, uh, with partners and uh, they're, you know, what you call minority partners, but uh, but they're really good, solid partners, and um, and and with good financial backing, and I think that made a big difference to uh, getting approved. And also, there's the heritage. I mean, we've been uh, uh, we've been involved as owners of the Montreal Canadiens for the most of the time between 1957 and today, um, and uh, with the exception of uh, a few years where the Bronfins owned the team in the 70s, and a few years where George Gillette owned it, it's always been in the family. When you, when you like were in that process, were you like, what was the first goal of, or like you wanted to change? Were you like, if I get this team, this is the first thing I want to do with them. Like, what was that? Yeah, it, it was, it was a, it was a really interesting period because I, I won the bid in late, in late June, third week of June, but I didn't close until December 1st. So during that whole period, a lot happened that, you know, I, I was involved, but I wasn't the official owner because we didn't close yet. It's like closing on a house. Um <laughs> And, uh, and so, um, uh, Bob Gainey was the GM at the time and he had, I think it was 35 or $40 million of cap cap room to spend. And he went out and got Camillary, Gianta, um, uh, Hal Gill, um, uh, God, some of the names are slipping in my mind right now, but anyway, he went out and spent, spent some dough. Uh, Gomez, he yeah. got Gomez. And spot check, 
Um, all these guys are great veteran hockey players. And this is – and hired a new coach, um, uh, Jacques, Jacques Bartet. And, uh, and so I inherited a new team. And, and so going in, my intention was to, you know, see how this team develops and see how it goes. And, and you know, the team, the team had an up-and-down season uh, when, I was, when I was the owner um, and uh, barely made it into the playoffs. But then all of a sudden, it was one of the most exciting runs that uh, we've had in recent history yeah. with uh, Yaroslav Halak in Nets. And uh, we beat, uh, we beat uh, in the first round, um, it was Washington in seven. Second round was Pittsburgh in seven, and then we lost to Philadelphia. We ran out of gas in the semifinals, but it was really fun. And so, um, I thought I had a great team um, going in, and and obviously things things change over time. But uh, but it was uh, it was more going in, nervous kid, thirty nine years old. I was more like observe, listen to people, and uh, see how things go. Well, and see how things go. We look back at your family and the you you, you mentioned your heritage and. Uh, John Molson coming over here in uh, right 1763, the Molson family here in uh, Quebec and Canada. Go to John Molson Jr., Thomas Molson. That hierarchy now, now you're gonna think I'm nuts, but I kind of liken it to the royal family, right? There's a hierarchy in a, in a sense, right? The oldest born child becomes the king, blah blah blah. It goes like that in your family. How how did it work where Jeff is the guy and it's not Andrew or it's not Justin? Uh, I think it's, you know, my father, uh, he never forced us uh, to do anything. Um, and we all we all chose our careers. And my career path was not to be doing what I'm doing. My career path was to try and become the CEO of Molson Beer Company. That was my that's what I wanted to accomplish. And then this opportunity came. And, and I would say that, uh, you know, the reason it's me doing this is because I'm, I'm the one that started it. I'm the one that, that was passionate about it. And I'm the one that went to my family and said, this is what I'd like to do. And, uh, and so, um, you know, I, I got their support. And uh, as a result, it sort of falls under me. But um, it comes from passion and, and desire to, uh, to accomplish the goal. And, you know, I, set, I tell people all, all the time uh, that uh, every day I, I I say to myself how lucky I am to have, have done that in uh, in June of 2009 because I'm just so happy with it. I guess so. And, um, you know, looking at back in 2009, and it's been uh, the, certainly the process of, you know, having to uh, get this team back to where it belongs, and that's um, eventually winning the Stanley Cup. The expectation is high here. You know that better than anybody. And... When you start out, uh, now it's time to find a, a general manager. Um, well, I guess for some people, they don't understand it. What, what is there a policy for as far as the linguistic qualifications you must have to be a general manager here or the coach? And um, can you kind of maybe shed some light on that? Is there, is it written in stone? It has to be that way. And if not, why does it have to be that way? Yeah. So it's a good question. And, you know, is there a policy? No, there's nothing written. It's a, it's a, it's a strong belief really. Um, and uh, it goes, it goes through um, decades of, of history, but me personally, um, knowing that, 
80% of our fans are French. Um, I think it's extremely important for us to be able to communicate to our fans uh, in, in French. And uh, we're lucky that we've got qualified general managers and qualified coaches that, that can do that. Even uh, Jeff, uh, Jeff, is, uh, Jeff Gordon's learning a little bit of French right now, which is good too. Um, but I think, it's, I think it's really important for us. I mean, the coach talks to the, to the fans every day um, through the media. And, uh, and it's important for them to be able to speak French. It's not a policy, it's a belief. Um, and if I ever was in a situation where um, I needed a coach or a GM um, uh, that was not able to speak French, um, I, would, I would do everything in my power to make sure that somehow whatever comes out of that person's mouth uh, is also automatically translated in French so that French fans can, can hear them as well. So, you know, you, you, the technology may, may, not, may be around the corner uh, where there's instant uh, translation to a different language uh, as you're speaking. And so, um, so for me, it's, it's really a fundamental belief that our fans uh, deserve to be spoken to in their uh, native tongue here in Quebec. Well, what do you say to the, the people who say, listen, uh, boy, you really limit the possibilities of really hiring. And I'm not saying French guys are not capable and they can't do the job. But what do you say to those fans who say you limit the, the talent pool? You limit yourself by you can only have a French coach or you can only have a French GM. Yeah, I mean, I think a good example of, of, uh, of what I did is uh, last year, uh, I hired uh, Jeff Gordon, November 28th, 2021. And um, he doesn't speak a word of French. And, uh, but, but I also believe that he's the best person for the job uh, that I hired him for. And um, so put that into, into one bucket. And then you say, okay, but we, get st- we still have to communicate to our fans. And so I, I thought about this a lot before hiring Jeff you know what, maybe there's a two person job, big market, two languages. And, um, I went out with Kent, uh, and, uh, and a few others that helped, uh, helped in the selection committee to try and find someone that, uh, that can work alongside Jeff, uh, and can speak to our fans in French. And so we hired two people and it's a huge market. It's the biggest hockey market in the world. And I think, uh, I think it's going to pay off to have, uh, two, two brains and, and, uh, and one of them is, is, uh, unilingual. No, that's got to be important. I mean, as a as a visiting opponent, like Montreal was by far the best place to play, and the fans were nuts. And but like, how important is that, Chris? You played there. I mean, you're fluent in French no, now. No, aren't I'm not you? fluent in French. <laughs> I am. But is it? It's, you tried to learn. Yeah, it I've, I've learned right? a bit of French, but I certainly uh, to to carry on a conversation or do an interview like this, I couldn't do it. Um, but you know, I know how it important it is for the people to uh, players who come here who who don't speak french at least try and uh mm-hmm. the fans uh the people alike here in quebec uh, appreciate the effort you know if you if you say a few words it's believe me it doesn't go unnoticed but you know i, I you moved a little fast on me there jeff because um before we got into the Gordon Hughes era, we got to go back to the beginning of your era as an owner. And what went into that process of um, hiring um, your first general manager? And and looking back over that tenure, 
okay, the 10 years. And uh, we're not perfect beings, us humans. I know that. So we do make some mistakes. What, if you could go back, what would you do over uh, from that first day you took the job to now? Uh, that's a really tough question to answer. Um, um, but I'll put it into the context of what we're doing right now, um, which is um, a much more transparent, uh, ca- call it whatever you want to call it, rebuild, reset. Um, but, um, you know, we're getting, we're, we're, we're getting first round picks, we're getting talent on the team, um, and we're building from the ground up a full organization uh, that hopefully soon is going to have lots of success for a long period of time. And, um, you know, if I was to step back to, uh, to uh, the prior, the prior um, regime, you know, we probably could have, we probably could have done something like that um, at, at a certain point. Um, when, when Mark got there, it was a pretty good team. We had, uh, we had a team that was, you know, always in the top three uh, in terms of the standings of, of our, uh, uh, of our division and, uh, you know, made it, to, made it to the playoffs on a pretty regular basis. And we had Pacioretty and Subban and Price in their prime, Gallagher, Galchenyuk, and it was all looking pretty promising. Um, and then uh, when we lost in the first round to uh, the Rangers, um, in uh, in six games, I believe it was. Um, that's when that was a point in time that uh, Mark Bergevin uh, and I really looked deeply at the at the the depth chart in our organization and, and said, you know what, do we have what it takes to win? And 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 that's when you started to see some changes. And but we never really called it what it was. It was you know we we traded uh, Pacioretty, we traded Galchenyuk, and, and we made we made some moves uh, to try and get some draft picks uh, to get some talent on the team. And um, you know we're starting to see a little bit of it now. Uh, we've got uh, Harris playing on the team and uh, uh, and a few others, obviously that you that you know about um, from that are from the prior regime. Yeah. So. That, that was all part. It was so I'm, I'm long winded here, but I would say that it, it was a form of a rebuild that was going on um, in the in the in those those sort of years after we lost to the Rangers and Max Max was traded. Uh, Suzuki came in and and then all of a sudden we made it to the Stanley Cup finals. Right. Um, and during covid. And so that sort of that sort of messed everyone up because it was too early. We weren't supposed to make the Stanley Cup finals uh, that quickly. And. And then, um, and then you know, after making the Stanley Cup Finals, it was an absolute disaster from an injury perspective. We lost we lost our our uh, our two best defensemen and our best goalie, um, who really are you know the main reasons why we did uh, did make it so far in the, in the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, and so it, it caused me to reflect. So I'm not really answering your question, but Mm-mm. I think that. I think that <laughs> I think, uh, what we what we did after after losing to the Rangers in the first round was a form of a rebuild, but it wasn't communicated or dealt with in the same way that we're doing it now. And um, and um, and I'm pretty proud of the way we're doing it now. Um, and probably looking back, if I if I was to restart what we decided after losing to the Rangers, I probably would have 
I probably would have insisted that we be much more transparent about what we were up to. Yeah, and, and listen, I, I get that. And I, 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 listen, I'm not looking to embarrass you or put you on the spot or, you know, ambush you, anything like that. I'm not. I'm not. But when I look back at that, and you said the word regime, and it, at times it felt like a regime, you know. Um, it, it, it seemed to me like, and I, I see the difference. I feel the difference now. I feel it where before in those 10 years, it just seemed like stay away. Don't talk to us. We're doing this. And I, I that message came through and I think turned a lot of people off. Um, I never certainly, I love this organization. I love the team. It afforded me the opportunity that I'm so grateful for. Um, in my my hockey career and I'm passionate about it um when you look back again at that time and you and Mark had pretty close relationship would you have looking back maybe put somebody between you and Mark to be able to maybe deal with more of those hockey decisions and make those decisions and, and not keeping you out of it but maybe you not being as close as you were to the general manager. Yeah, I, I, I don't. Uh, I don't think that's the real the real issue. Like I think that having the two people on the job now is uh, is is a, a new thing. Um, no one else really has done it, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm pretty pretty proud of the way it's working. Um, but um, I never made a hockey decision um, uh, ever. Uh, I, I, I'm aware of what's going on on the hockey hockey team, and he, we talked every day about about hockey decisions that he was making. But he was accountable for every single decision that he made. And I think if I could, if if uh, you know, if you, it's 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 so easy to look yeah, back at time and say what you that's what we're doing. What you could have done different. Mm -hmm. And and you know, he was pretty well surrounded with some good people as well. And you know, we've got uh, we've got uh, examples, like I said, of players on our team right now that are a result of yeah. some pretty pretty good decisions that were yeah. made. I mean like 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 people that work at Costco. Is how do you, <laughs> yeah. Is that... People that work at Costco, uh, people that score nineteen goals in uh, thirty games. Yeah. Do you uh, take credit for the for Jack guy? That's an amazing story. I, I it's a great story and I, I'm I'm happy he went on air with you guys because uh, it's a good story to tell. Um, but uh, you know Caulfield, Goulet, all these players right now um, so he, he was well surrounded and, and you know, maybe, maybe it probably would have been uh, helpful to have another person there, but it doesn't, the reporting thing is not the, is not the important thing. The important thing is having someone there next to you to, to run ideas by that's a real pro hockey person. Yeah. yeah. And I, here's a question. I got a question here. You, me and Chris talk about this all the time as players from like 2009 until today, how the players have changed, right? And you talked about a year ago, I was watching this interview you did, and you talked about adding resources and areas of mental health and wellness for the players off the ice. That's something you probably didn't have to even think about back in 2009, right? No. You know, and, and so has things, I mean, is it all the way up to the ownership? Is it things changed? Like looking at players today? I mean, it's different, right? It's so much different now, even in uh, three or four years. Um, and, um, our, our the players now are, um, um, you know, the, sorry, I'll, I'll start over. The, the staff that surrounds players is, is significantly larger, whether it's, ment whether it's mental health, physical development, um, uh, training, weightlifting, 
rehabbing, eating, um, eating, eating, <laughs> nutrition, everything. It's uh, it's everything. And so I would say the the staff that falls under Jeff and Kent um, is probably two times the size it was in 2009 when uh, when I came in, and it's full of all kinds of interesting people that are that are there to help the players uh, perform better on and off the ice. And it's, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty impressive, but, but yeah, it's, it's been a big change And the mental health. It's not just mental health. It's, 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 it's uh, bringing in the right perspective into a game, um, positive thinking and reinforcement and all those things. It's, it's, it's the full brain of, uh, of a player that, uh, that we're trying to develop. Yeah. Everything Chris needed when he played. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, okay. The, the, Era of Mark Bergevin, uh, certainly he did do some great things, there's no question. And there's some things, I guess, that, uh, you know, you're not going to, you're not batting a thousand. Uh, he did bring the team to the Stanley Cup final. I believe yeah, he stuck with that core, I believe, a little too long. And then when he started to compile all these draft picks, too, and some of the trades he made were awesome. Obviously, Suzuki, we see him here for the Pacioretty deal, we had Tatar in there. But um, he he when he left here, he did leave things in pretty good shape for the guys coming in. But the one thing I think w- was really a big issue for these guys coming in is the salary cap. And some of those contracts that were signed, when you look back, um, you know, from Price's deal, playing the goalie that much money, to Subian's deal, to... to um, even we can talk about Suzuki's. I get that one, but how how does it get to that point where you're so up against the cap when you're overseeing this thing that you can hardly breathe? Yeah, I mean it's it's uh, um, you know he he built Mark built his team and uh, and the components of his team were were the were what uh, Jeff and Kent inherited right um, and. You know his team was built with the support of his staff, and, and they made they made decisions. Um, when you go into a completely different uh, strategy of rebuilding um, and trying to get younger, ta- younger, bigger, more talented on your team, um, you, you have to address these issues, um, and and it's hard. Um, and you know there we we saw a little bit of it the trade deadline last year, and. Um, we'll see what, uh, what they come up with this year. Um, but we, we need to, obviously we need to, as an organization, get ourselves to get to a position where these young stars that are budding, uh, uh, need to be compensated as well. So you have to, it's a, it's a rolling target and, uh, you can't just think about next year. You need to think about three years from now, uh, when, when, um, player X, uh, is a free agent and, and needs to be signed and, and kept in the organization. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's no question about that. And, and, and. I guess one of the um, looking back on this deal now in hindsight's 2020, and I I, I got to bring it up. He, he's a kid from Quebec, and Jonathan Druin, who came here, and the expectations were so high for this kid, being a French kid here, comes from uh, Tampa Bay, and uh, the Canadians trade uh, a very very good prospect in Mikhail Sergachev in the process. Are you at all disappointed, um, I guess, from what you've gotten from this player over the course of that contract? 
you know, it's, it's, it's not the type of thing that I talk about. Uh, I would talk about publicly, but, um, the, uh, health challenges, uh, that Jonathan's gone through, uh, have been, have been significant. And I'm very proud of, of him continuing to fight back and, and try to get back into it. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, maybe he's not, uh, uh, the same player that, uh, that he was when we traded for him right now. Um, but he's overcome a lot of challenges uh, and injuries in, in both mental health and injuries, physical injuries. And uh, hopefully, um, you know, he's going to find that moment because he's still young. He's super talented and he's a great kid. And uh, and I hope uh, I hope he finds that uh, that opportunity to start really excelling like uh, like he should, because he's, he's a great player. Well, I certainly I threw some shade at him one time and I ended up going uh, personally and apologizing to him. But because. Um, if you're not, if you don't play here and you haven't, <laughs> listen, everybody comes in and says best place to play Montreal. I love the fans. It's awesome. Everything's great. But to play here, it's a different thing. And I've seen it from Doug Wickenheiser to um, the situation right here. We've been talking about and I, people. And I remember when Jonathan first came, they said, well, how are you going to deal with the pressure playing in Montreal? And he said, oh, I'll, you know, I'll be able to do it. I know the province and the fans, blah, blah, blah. But can you speak to that a little bit, the pressure? And I know a lot of people look at, oh, these guys are making money, lots of money. They should be able to deal with this and that. But that's not the case. There's a lot of stuff going on that people don't see. But can you speak to the pressure of a guy coming in here and, and, and having those expectations so high and, and having to deal with that on a daily basis and be able to be successful? Uh, in dealing with all that. Yeah, it's, it's the expectations our fans have of, of, of the players is extremely high. And um, everything we do on and off the ice is visible to our fans and they care about it. And so, um, you know, some of the things that happen, some of the things that happen in a smaller hockey market, you, you would never read about it on Twitter or, or like, almost everything we do um, is, is public. And so that that alone is is, is a lot of pressure. Um, anything we say uh, becomes big news. Uh, a little little statistic in, in Quebec, of all the news reported in the entire province, like politics, wars, everything, ten percent of it is about the Montreal Canadiens. So <laughs> everything, everything. Okay, there's no market. There's no hockey market in the world that can say that. Um, and uh, anyway, so back back to your question. The pressure is is very high. And if you're not performing and you're not supported to help deal with that, it, it makes it even more amplified. Um, and, um, and for star players that are, the expectations are high and, and the performance is not there. You know, that's why we've hired uh, people uh, to support them uh, mentally uh, to, to, to be ready for these situations, but it's, it's very hard, very hard on them. And uh, um, these, I, I'm pretty impressed with this young group, however, um, they seem to have embraced the pressure and be turned it into a very positive uh, vibe around the room and, and vibe around the organization. And, um, and hopefully that's going to continue because at the end of the day, they're playing hockey um, and our fans love, love it when they play hockey. And these kids, these kids uh, on the team right now, you know, we were losing 4-1 on Saturday night and our fans were doing the wave, yeah. right? <laughs> But that, that's a reflection. 
That's a reflection of how happy they are mm-hmm. with how hard the team is working, how much they care, the direction we're heading in, and and that's because they know they know what's going on. Even though we're losing four one, they know what's happening. We're going through a transition, and uh, and so that takes a lot of pressure off because we've been transparent about what we're up to. It's going to take a little time. We're getting some talent. We're getting draft picks, and the and the fans get it, and they're behind us, which is well. That's certainly a, a credit. And I'll say a credit to you, and I'm not kissing your ass here, but here's the deal. You did look at that past. You did make some changes, and you're starting to see um, the results of that, right? You looked at that previous regime and then some of the things that happened there and certainly took a new direction. I think it's, it's awesome, the adjustments you made, the hiring of Gorton. Listen, you're a smart guy. You went to school. In, Thanks, in and around Boston, okay? You married a girl from in and around Boston, and you hired a guy from Boston to kind of help you fix the Montreal Canadiens. I love that. It's the Boston <laughs> connection. It's great. It's great. No. Uh, all kidding aside, though, and bringing those guys in, uh, and Jeff Gordon, um, when you were on the, the hunt, okay, um, who I, I obviously you didn't do this on your own. Who, who was involved and how did you come to the decision of Jeff Gordon? Because boy, it is one hell of a pick in bringing that guy in. When you look at what he's done in Boston as a, as a fill in general manager stand in, and then what he did in New York, um, man. Well, um, Thank you for calling me smart. Uh, I appreciate it, Chris, because I don't I don't get compliments like that. Smart, very often. lucky. <laughs> yes, lucky is better. Lucky is a better word. Um, but um, uh, I don't forget certain things, and um, I always remember because um, I, you know, Mark and I did spend a lot of time together, and I always remember him telling me that uh, he had a lot of time for Jeff Gordon. So that's sort of that was always in my head uh, that he thought he was doing a good job. And um, I did a lot of due diligence, but it's such a high profile search um, that I had to be very discreet about it. Um, But there's no question that what he did in Boston and what he did in New York was a huge contributor to uh, my my decision to to bring him on board. Um, He's got uh, over two decades of experience doing that kind of thing. Um, he, uh, he, He was the mastermind behind the Rangers one and he was the support guy behind the Boston one, so he knows how to do it. Um, but I, to be honest, I very secretly uh, hopped on an Air Canada flight um, um, in uh, uh, early November, and call, uh, I called him up from Montreal and said, can I, can I meet with you? I'd like to talk to you about something. And we met, uh, just the two of us, we met in a hotel room, and we spent a couple hours together talking about uh, all the stuff that you want to talk about, uh, in terms of uh, getting a general manager. And um, it, I, I pretty much knew right away that this is the right man for the job because just because of the wealth of experience that he had. And he's, and he's intelligent too. I mean, he's personality got, he's got too, right? Personality. And so um, anyway, after the, leaving that, uh, that meeting, uh, that secret meeting I had in, in a hotel room, um, I started to do more due diligence, ask more people very discreetly uh, to a point where um, I was positive I had the right guy. And 
And like I said, uh, the right guy didn't speak French. And so I, I was also positive that it was a two-person job. And so that's when uh, we started the second phase of the process together. Yeah, what I like about Jeff, too, is like he, he was started as a scout. Like he was telling us he was like video camera, yeah. you know, video recording, like the players he was scouting. So he went through the ranks and kind of has been in every situation and, didn't, you know, earned his position. Yeah, um, he's, he's also very passionate about analytics, uh, which is something that our organization didn't have uh, – a lot of we had some of it but not a lot of and now we have a lot of it which is great yeah well he comes in and then uh, hi is um uh, kent hughes as general manager you come in and um the the team working together uh you come up on uh the first draft with these two guys in charge now the everybody everybody in their brother thinks that they're gonna take shane Wright because shane Wright's this, that, the other thing, the best hockey player in Canada, and then come to the draft table. And um, I liken this to almost like the Kokinemi pick. Remember the lady? She threw her head back and was all crazy at the draft because they picked Jesperi Kokinemi. And now they pick Juraj Slavkovsky. Um, Did you know ahead of time they were going this route? Uh, was it a surprise to you? Were you like, how come you're picking this guy and not right? Uh, did you have those questions for Jeff Gordon? Yeah. Yeah. So the and conversation. Hughes, not to and Kent, dismiss yeah. Kent. And, 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 and also the uh, the head scouts, uh, that, that, you know, ultimately they're the ones that watch the players play 15, 20, 30 times a year. Um, but I would say the conversations about uh, the top three players in the draft started in, in uh, well, they start at the beginning of the seasons, but but when they really start accelerating in early March, um, and obviously we hadn't won the lottery yet, uh, but we were ready. We were ready to start, uh, you know, narrowing down down uh, the, the 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 talent pool. But um, it wasn't until I knew that I knew um, in March that um, we really liked our pick, yeah. but. Our organization, starting with Jeff and Kent, didn't know who they were going to pick until, you know, a couple of days before uh, the draft, maybe even a day before the draft. They were pretty sure, but the amount of due diligence they did to make sure that they were making the right decision was very, very impressive. The interviews, the the let's let's look at more tapes, let's look at more of this, more of that, and they, uh, you know, they really they really uh, did their homework, more homework than I've ever seen before. And I, and I would, I don't say that as a criticism to the prior uh, regime. I, I'd say it's when you get the first pick overall, you, you know, it's, it's, you don't get that very often. The last time we got it, you mentioned his name was Doug yeah. Wickenheimer. Um, and that was in 1980. So um, the, I was pretty sure I knew, and obviously uh, I didn't say anything, but, but uh, you know, it wasn't confirmed until the day before the draft. And, then, then the challenge was to keep it secret until uh, until draft day, which which we're, we're pretty good at, um, and uh, and you know hopefully we have made the right pick. It's uh, it, we'll we'll know in a few years, but uh, he's a big boy and and a good kid. Yeah. Are you involved in those interviews? No, I didn't. The only thing I did with this one when I knew uh, when I knew he was going to be our guy, um, I've, I've I just very very discreetly had a, a met him. I met him and, and, and we talked for a little bit um, and I sat in on the final interview 
like the final interview when he came in and, and all the scouts are there and Jeff, Kent and Marty, uh, I sat in and just listened to, listened to him talk about his game or listen to him talk about, answer the questions that they were all asking him. And so that was my final confirmation, but it, at no point do I say, okay, uh, I approve. That doesn't work that way. It's much more, it's much more Jeff and Ken saying, guys, uh, Jeff, this is the guy we're going to pick. And, uh, and me asking 20 questions just to get comfortable. So what if it, well, the team, the team is awesome though. Like what I, you, well, not to go back, but like as a, as a fan watching, we've had enough players on here that guys are having fun. You could tell, and you could tell like, it's a good room. Like it's got, and there's a good foundation there. And I was just thinking Slipkowski seems like he has that personality. The guys love him in the room. I'm assuming. Yeah. You see, you see it all across, across the board with these young, uh, young kids. There's a lot of them on the team right now. Yeah. Um, and uh, they're having fun. They're they're it's a new generation, uh, new coach, new assistant coaches. Um, the whole the whole support staff around them is is all about being positive and being uh, high energy, never quitting. And uh, you see it, you see it on the ice. And, and you know we've made mistakes, and you know you you guys watch the games uh, just as much as I do, probably. Um, you know, there are times when uh, all of a sudden it's three nothing, and five, you're only five minutes into the first period because three three critical mistakes were made. But then then you get to the third period, and it's it's three two all of a sudden, and uh, and the fans are, are are seeing a team that's not not quitting. That's that's pretty. Yeah, cool. there's no quit for sure in this team. And it's funny when you talked about keeping things close to the vest with um, Jeff. It's funny the night before the draft, I had talked to him and said, do you know yet? He's like, and he hemmed and hawed. Then the night of, I saw him. I said, all right, come on. One guy, one Boston guy and another guy. Come on. Give me a little scoop here. And he said, well, Knuckles, we got to get bigger. That's one of my goals. (laughs) And I said, okay. And I said, well, you got to get bigger, but what about the middle? You need a, don't you need another center iceman? He said, I have a plan for that too. And sure enough, you know, we see the first pick, the big guy, and then the plan and in dealing away of, of young, promising, very popular defenseman in Romanov. And, you know, all I could think back at the time was Sergachev, right? I'm thinking, God, they let one go. What are they doing? And then we see the benefit of that and bringing in Kirby Doc. Uh, it just like they were to me, it was just awesome and refreshing to see um, someone uh, come in and his first draft here in Montreal, uh, Kent Hughes and, and Jeff to be able to, you know, pull off something like that and look at it in the early going here and say, man, what a what a great, great move on, on both counts. All right. Enough of that. Now, the draft and and. Looking at this team, we talked about them, young, good core. Um, you got to be so excited in the direction this team, um, building up the draft picks. Um, when when you look at a guy like Abba Jack guy coming in here, a guy who certainly working at Costco, and then all of a sudden he's playing on the blue line for the Montreal Canadiens, a guy that – it, it, certainly in this area of the game, this team has lacked over the past few years. And it's not as big as it used to be, that role. But, boy, what do you think when you look at Abba Jacki and what he's done in his, his, his 
just commencing on his career, basically. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, think about it, he's undrafted, and uh, in in and during COVID was when we, uh, uh, you know, someone I don't even know who it was, but someone in our scouting scouting office said, let's give this guy a try, and uh, and he's come a long way since then. Uh, he's progressed rapidly, but you know, I'm just getting to know him. He's uh, he's new, and um, interactions have been uh, have been all very positive. But I think that I think that, like you said. Um, his teammates really appreciate him, um, and he's a down-to-earth, good person. And um, just being appreciated is is a great thing to have on a team. Um, and uh, you know, he's he, he, you can see that he's not. Uh, it's a different game now from when from when you played. He's not out there running around looking for fights. He's also trying to become a really good hockey player. Yeah. Um, and, and so having both is great. And and I think uh, you know when. When you're uh, when you're not that type of player, and you know that he's down the bench looking out for you, I think is a is a really important asset to have, and we haven't had that in a little while. No, it's certainly a level of comfort for uh, his teammates, no question about it. Now, if we can, um, the COVID era there, and and all that happened there, how difficult was that to navigate all that craziness? You know, no fans in the building. Again, the best building the best fans in hockey, no question. And then they're taken away as an owner sitting there looking at that and going through that. Um, how difficult was that? Well, um, I'll answer that in two ways. First of all, when we made it to the Stanley cup finals during COVID, it was unbelievable. And unfortunately the best party was happening outside the bell center, not inside the bell center. Yeah. We didn't have any fans, but there were, there were tens of thousands of people out there watching our games in the streets uh, during COVID, and it was pretty awesome. Um, but the hardest part for me during that whole period was being completely out of touch with the uh, the players uh, and the coach. And the, the golf tournament didn't yeah. do it. The, pre, the, the, the Once the team is made, we have a dinner together with the wives. Didn't do it. Uh, relationships with the alumni, not there. Um, and... Um, and we, you know, we took a pause from pretty much doing everything. The Christmas skate, remember we used to skate yeah. together when I was 14 and we do our Christmas party and Santa Claus comes and gives their kids presents. And, yeah. um, and, and then, uh, at the, at, the, at the end of the season, we have another event together and, and then we organize all kinds of stuff to make us feel like we're one big family. And, uh, we didn't do that for two years. And so you really lose touch, uh, as a, as an owner, you lose touch with the heartbeat of the, of the team. And, uh, and I'm so happy it's gone behind us because uh, we're having, you know, part of the reason, I, I firmly believe that a successful organization is, um, is to, uh, it includes taking care of the whole family, whether it's uh, alumni, parents, wives, girlfriends, or the kids. Um, they all want to, we all have to, collectively, we have to try and make sure that we exist as a big family so that we're, we're, we're happy off the ice as well as on the ice. All right, so you make, um, certainly, you oversee this organization, this team, and when Gorton and Hughes come in and get through the draft, but when they came to you and when it was time to hire a new coach, Martin St. Louis, when you hear that name for the first time out of Jeff's mouth, what are you thinking? Here's a guy who had no experience coaching other than kids. Um, you know, you hired a GM 12 years ago. 
who had no experience as a general manager. Were you a little skeptical? Were you a little mm, about that choice? You know, for me, it all comes down to trust. Um, and I trust the judgment of Jeff and Kent on this one. I didn't interview Martin St. Louis. Um, it's not, that's not my job. I talked to him once we made up our mind, once they made up their mind that he was going to get hired. Um, you know, I called, I call Marty and then we, and we, we have a nice chat uh, about it and how excited we are to have him on board. But for me, I, I trust Jeff and Kent uh, on that. Did one. you scratch your head and, at all saying no, 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 because if they're, if they're passionate about it and they want it, then I want it. Um, and, uh, and the last thing I should ever do is to, is to, um, uh, contradict people that I trust. Yeah. And, um, and uh, for me, it's finding ways to be supportive. And so, you know, we, I saw him as a player and, and I, I know, I know about the passion levels. And so for me, it's, it's not scratching my head. It's tell me more about this guy. Okay. This guy has been studying hockey for years. He talks to coaches all the time. He's uh, whatever he's, he was ready mentally, even though he had no experience to do the job and, and uh, Jeff and Ken were positive. About it. So I have to give all the credit to them for, uh, for, for having the guts to choose someone who was carrying, ho- carrying bantam hockey sticks uh, across the ice um, from his bantam team into the, into the NHL. With a little playing experience. <laughs> Honestly, it's an incredible choice. And, you know, a lot of people certainly scratch their head saying, what? And I certainly love what I've seen so far. And the players had a lot to say about that first time he came in the room and spoke to them. They said they've never, ever heard anything like that come out of a coach's mouth. Can you shed a little light on that and how maybe important that was? Um, it's so – It first of all, it was – the players told me afterwards yeah. how important that moment was. I don't go to the dressing room very often, uh, and I only go when it's, when it's really important. And I was with Marty upstairs, um, preparing for the, uh, helping prepare for the, uh, the, the the media scrum that he was going to do once once we announced. And I I regret not going down with him for that for that moment because everyone was there, the whole family of hockey was there, and uh, and I didn't go because I didn't want to interfere with what he was up to. Um, and I and I I've always believed that uh, interference from the owner is not a good thing. Um, but I wish I really wish I had been there for that moment because the players, uh, from Carey Price to the young ones, uh, they all told me about uh, how amazing that that brief experience was with him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's so cool that uh, he's behind that bench there. Even though sometimes it's hard for him to see what's going on on the ice, he's got to <laughs> get up on his toes. But he's certainly and having the opportunity to meet him, I just what a great personality and a good person. Listen, I have some. Quick uh, questions I want to throw at you, if I could. Um, if you, Jeff Molson, could own another team in this league, which one would it be? Now, I know where your allegiance is. I know it's the Habs. That's it. But this is just kind of quickie questions. Quickie, quickie questions? Okay. Well, my second favorite team for my whole life has always been the Detroit Red Wings. Nice. And uh, nice. and uh, it's partly because of their jerseys, partly because of uh, Steve Eiserman, Gordie Howe. But um, 
uh, I think if I, uh, I, I don't want to own another hockey team, but if I had to, it would, it would be that one. All righty. Uh, favorite city to visit in the league? Boston. Ooh. Yeah. He he got that one right. I don't know if, I don't know if he had a choice. No, he, okay. he he's no fool. <laughs> he knows what's going on. Um, winning winning in Boston is one of the most yeah, amazing yeah. experiences, isn't it? It, it yeah. is unbelievable. All right, if you could have chosen another career other than what you're doing right now, what would it have been? I would have uh, worked my way uh, worked my way up the uh, the ladder at the brewery and uh, and become uh, if if qualified become the president of uh, of Molson Coors Brewing Company. All right, if you could play professionally one sport, what would it be? Hockey. Hockey. That's it. No, nothing else. Um, so, would it be safe to say? No, it wouldn't be safe to say. If you could have had a career with the Montreal Canadiens for 15 years, been a Hall of Famer, or own the team right now, which would it have been? Oh, that's a good question. Mm. I've never thought of it that way. Can I say both? <laughs> <laughs> One or the other. Player coach? <laughs> yeah. um, you know what? I think uh, I think I, if... if if I had a chance to have a 15 year hall of fame career with the Montreal Canadians, uh, and I had to choose between the two at, at 18 or 19 or 20 years old, I, I think I would choose that. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Have you ever, who, who would have who, been your, who would be your D partner? Chris Chelios. <laughs> <laughs> well, that means you'd have to run with them too after. So uh, I, I, uh, you could probably keep up. Well, who knows? Give him, he's got a lot of Molson to give him. <laughs> and, and that's the next question. Have you ever had another beer other than Molson? Uh, every once in a while, when you go to a restaurant or a bar and they don't have Molson products and you want a beer, um, you, you, you have to dabble in the competition a little bit. But there are some brands that I've never had. Uh, like I'll never have a Budweiser. I'll never have a Labatt Blue or any, any of those types of things. But I, you know, I, I think that uh, our, our beer business is also in the micro beer business. And so I'll, I'll, I'll try a look, like if I'm in Maine uh, or, or Boston, I'll try a local microbeer if uh, Molson products aren't available. Yeah. All right. Uh, Quebec Nordiques, uh, Quebec, would you love to see, would you like to see another team in Quebec? For sure. I mean, I think uh, you, you lived it as a player. I lived it as a, as a fan. Uh, it's, it, was, it was the best rivalry in hockey, I think. Um, and, uh, you know, some people question whether I would want it from a business perspective. I, I actually think the opposite. I think from a business perspective, it would be better. Um, and it would, there would be more, more passion, um, more yeah. passion, more, more tickets sold, more sponsors. It would all go up. And so I really, uh, I think it would be if, if the, if Quebec city ever got a chance to have a team, I think it'd be good for hockey, but it'd also be good for, uh, for the Montreal Canadiens. Would you try to own both? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be, uh, the NHL has some very strict policies around okay. it. Yeah. yeah. What, um, wh what do you think about expansion? Do you think the team, the league is going to grow once again? Are they going to cut it off? Because honestly, I miss, you know, and you talk about Boston, Montreal, Quebec, the rivalry. I miss those rivalries. And you, like, you don't see Boston here until January. 
Like it, it I, I don't know. This, this, you think some things have to change that way when it comes to scheduling and in the number of teams in the league? Yeah, you know, first of all, to answer your first first question, you know, the, the topic of expansion is not really a high profile topic yeah. these days at the Board of Governors meetings. Uh, you never know what's going to happen in the future, but it's not a topic that we discuss uh, right now. Um, but the the uh, uh, you know that rival we used to play the Ruins eight times a year. Yeah. And, and uh, now we're playing them, now we're playing them four and uh, you know you can feel it in the air when the when the Bruins come to play the Canadians in Montreal in October like the it's officially hockey season you know that's yeah. that's how powerful that rivalry is and um, you know I'd, I would love to see uh, uh, us have a look at um, you know given there's 32 teams have a look at you know trying to have a little bit more emphasis on divisional rivalries. Uh, uh, going on, it's not something we're talking about at the Board of Governors, but it was you know the, there's there's no question that the the rivalry between Boston and Montreal, uh, Toronto and Montreal um, are always better the more we play against each other. Yeah, I'd love to see more rivalries like that. Again, you know, everyone wants to see Connor McDavid once, so it's like you know I'd much rather see it the other way, but uh, that's not for me to worry about. Listen, Jeff. Um, I appreciate your time. I, I do want to say uh, I'm really glad that your family owns this hockey club once again. Uh, I appreciate the uh, kindness you've shown me and making me an ambassador uh, with the Montreal Canadiens. You, you don't know how uh, that touched me and felt for me emotionally. Um, um I'm so passionate about the organization, the city, the people, the team, the fans, everybody, um, and what you've done here in a short time and turning this thing around again, they're going in the right direction. I just, um, it's impressive. And I want to really just say moving forward, I wish you all the luck in the world and hope this team can get back to that, that level, uh, where when they go to the Stanley cup final, they really have a legit chance of winning it. And uh, it seems like you're on a good path. And also I can speak for uh, the other alumni. Uh, I know when we talk about feelings, I know the feeling now around this team, this organization, um, <laughs> there's a big difference compared to what it was. And you look at the hiring Chantal Maccabee, how open now the organization is with the media, with, with people that just, is is a big difference uh, and i just you know certainly has a lot to do with you and some of the decisions you made here moving forward and it's it's awesome this organization's in good hands so awesome stuff credit well, to you thank you and, uh, we're very proud to have you as uh, as an ambassador as well and uh, you represent the next generation of uh, people that are going to represent us uh, in a big way so that's that's great and uh you never let me tell my story well, about you but which one was that uh, about on this the bench is, let's hear it come on, on we got okay. we got plenty of time <laughs> i got I, i'll tell it very briefly but uh so um no surprise uh chris has probably already been in a fight with someone and was all fired up all fired up uh behind the bench He's standing up there. He's pointing at this other player, swearing. The f bombs are flying all over the place, and uh, and you know he's just preparing for the next shift when he's going to fight the guy practically. And uh, and that was back in the days where the family sat behind the bench, but there was no glass. 
And so my great uncle, who's uh, who was 92 at the time, I think, uh, he walked with a cane and uh, he took his cane and he poked Chris Nyland in the back <laughs> with his cane and said, you do not need to use that language on the ice, young man. And, uh, and so whatever, the game went on and then Chris actually came into the room, the, the, the director's room, with his stuff on after the game to apologize to uh, Senator Hartley. Yeah. <laughs> but it was really funny. It was the first time I've ever seen uh, a player get poked by a, ca- a cane. Oh, now, Tim, if you saw <laughs> Senator Hartland Molson, you would look at him and be like, who is this guy, right? And very distinguished looking, the stash, glasses, beautiful suit on. And when I get poked, I'm like, like who's jabbing me? I thought it was a teammate. Who the fuck is that? And I turned around, it was him. I'm like, oh. I had the big gulp in the throat. But you lose that when you're on the bench. And we're just talking about rivalry. You don't think about who's behind you. You just don't. And there was no glass there. That was like Mr. Yeah. Corey tells the story when the queen and king were there from, I forget where, the, from somewhere over there. And um, <laughs> I had some choice words that evening, too. And it just, uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, hockey's hockey. Um, yeah. Listen, yeah. I, again, Jeff, thank you uh, so much. I appreciate your time. And again, wish, hey, say hi to uh, your dad. I hope uh, he's doing well. well and then. mom. Yeah by the way. And uh, I will do that. Thanks for your time.